Let me open up today by offering what I hope will be a little pastoral wisdom this morning. If you ever get to the place in your life where you start thinking things like, I just got too much joy in my life, or you get discouraged, you know, because you think, I don't even know what to do with all this happiness inside of me. You start having those thoughts. Let me offer you a little suggestion this morning. Uh, Get yourself on Christian Twitter. Because Christian Twitter is populated by professing Christians, you would expect it to be a place of encouragement and inspiration. (laughs) Instead, what it actually is, is a running commentary of what everyone else is doing wrong in the body of Christ. If you've heard the reports of the Asbury outpouring over the last few weeks, I think the whole country's heard that by now, just get on Christian Twitter very quickly. You can have your balloon popped so you desire. If you find yourself encouraged by a book or a sermon you read by a Christian author, get on Christian Twitter. You'll quickly find out 300 reasons why that person's theology is wrong, and you're probably not saved if you read that book. The reality is, if you're not discouraged or encouraged by that after a few hours of scrolling on Christian Twitter, if you have any shred of joy in your life that you just want to get rid of, then go ahead and log on to Facebook and peruse the comment section. Tasha was reading to me uh, something was on our little local neighborhood thing, and uh, very quickly, things can go very south in the comment section on Facebook. That should seal the deal if you've got any joy left at all. Now, at face value, when you think about the reality of all that, uh, looking around the world, it can be a dark and discouraging place. It seems as if everyone is angry, everyone is critical, no one is getting along, and there seems to be nothing but darkness out there. But here's the good news this morning. The economy of God is not governed by cultural commentary. As a matter of fact, what we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians 4 today tells us that we should not believe everything we see, which is also the title of the message this morning. So turn there with me, if you would, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, uh, Paul reminds these Corinthian believers and us, by extension, uh, that on the surface, there are situations in life in a fallen world uh, that can quickly cause us to lose heart, but they don't have to discourage us if we're followers of Jesus Christ, because beyond what we see on the surface, what appears to be incredibly discouraging and would cause us to lose heart, there's actually a paradoxical truth uh, from God's perspective, if we can just see that, that's actually pretty encouraging. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines a paradox as a statement, proposition, or situation that seems illogical or self-contradictory. But when looked at in detail, it actually may be logical or true. Paradoxes often express ironies in attempt to reconcile what appears to be on the surface opposing ideas. So, for example, here's a biblical example. The world views death as loss. What do we say when someone passes away? I'm so sorry about your loss. But the Bible says uh, that for the Christian, death is actually gain. There's a paradoxical truth there in the economy of God. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, Paul is presenting uh, what three encouraging truths that should keep us from losing heart, and he does so in kind of a paradoxical fashion that we should be able to see through those and view those from God's perspective and not just ours, all right? So we're going to start off, we're going to cover a fair amount of ground this morning from uh, the beginning of chapter 4 to the beginning of chapter 5, so I'm just going to read a few verses in uh, chapter 4 to get us started this morning, verses 1 through 6. He says, therefore, uh, having this ministry, 
By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, uh, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Then verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, for the last uh, couple of weeks, if you've been with us in the series through 2 Corinthians, for the last two weeks, we talked about the benefits and the opportunity and the power of living the Spirit-filled or Spirit-controlled life. And the opposite of living the Spirit-filled life is to live according to the flesh. Now, here's the reality this morning. That term, the flesh, falls under the category of what we would call Christianese. It is a word or a term or a phrase that Christians only say to each other. Uh, anybody else outside of Christianity would not understand that when you say, hey, I've been living in the flesh. So listen, just a little pro tip, all right? Do not go to the water cooler at work tomorrow and stand around with non-Christians. And when they say, what'd you do this weekend? And tell them, I spent most of the weekend living in the flesh. They're going to think you're some kind of pervert, all right? Just write that down. To live in the flesh is the same idea as living in the power of your own resources. It's to live powerless against our sinful desire, but, but living in the flesh or the opposite of the spirit filled life doesn't just affect the actions you take, it also causes you to view things from a limited human perspective as opposed to God's eternal perspective. And so verse one starts off with the word therefore. And let me remind you, I've taught you this uh, many times. Let me remind you, uh, anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you got to ask a simple question. What's it there for? And so when a verse starts off with therefore, he's saying, hey, I'm connecting two truths. And so it says, as a result of all that I've taught you about this spirit-filled life in chapter three, uh, I want to connect that to these truths in chapter four and five. He's saying, because this spirit-filled life is available to us, we do not have to lose heart that when you encounter these situations that on the surface appear incredibly discouraging, appear to be an occasion to actually lose heart, he says you don't have to live that way or view things that way and lose heart or become discouraged. That things we encounter at face value don't have to seem hopeless. And I don't know about you, but I need to constantly be reminded of that truth. I don't have to lose heart by everything I see that's going on around me because the Spirit of God inside of me. So he basically gives us three things. He says, don't lose heart when you encounter these situations. Do not lose heart when you're living this spirit-filled life. And the first thing he says is this, don't lose heart because we get to bring light to a dark world. You can look around the world and be reminded very quickly, it is a world filled with sin and with darkness. And when you realize that truth, you can respond to that truth in one of two ways. Number one is to be shocked and angry that the sinful world is out there doing sinful things. I've had so many people over the years say, 
Can you believe they did that? And I said, well, they're not a Christian, are they? No. And I said, then I can believe they did that, right? But somehow we're shocked when non-Christians don't hold to Christian values, when non-Christians don't do things we think Christians should do. And, and you can do that, and you can be angry at the world about that. And judging by social media, lots of Christians have chosen that. So that's one option when you look at the dark world around us. The second one, though, and I would encourage you towards this, is to look around at this dark world and think to yourself, what an opportunity to be alive and on mission for Jesus Christ. What an opportunity in this dark world that we're living in to carry forth the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's possible when you live this spirit-filled life. You can look around at all the brokenness in the world. Instead of being angry at the world, you have compassion knowing what they desperately need is what you possess in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we know from simple observation is that the darker it is, the more needed and noticed the light becomes. Now, Paul was a human being just like us. Sometimes we read the pages of Scripture and we think, well, these are almost superheroes for Jesus, Right? Paul is a person, yes, gifted and experienced and a spirit-filled believer. But listen, he's just battling the flesh the same as you and I are. Paul had a temptation to become bitter and, and discouraged at all the suffering that he'd encountered for the cause of Christ. Listen, Paul could have said this with integrity. Since I started serving Jesus, my life has gotten infinitely harder, and he could have made that claim with integrity. But look instead how he describes this ministry that God has given him. And Paul's unique context is he's sharing the gospel of grace in a culture dominated by the law, and so we're sharing the light of Jesus in a, in a world filled with spiritual darkness, but he's not bitter about that. He's not, woe is me, can you, can you believe that God called me to, for such a time as this to share Christ and uh, represent Christ? Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, having this ministry, and listen to this, by the mercy of God. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. And what Paul is saying here, basically, you know, the backstory is, hey, in light of all the persecution I've brought against the church, what I deserve is God's judgment. I don't deserve any occasion to be a part of this movement of Jesus Christ. He said, but by the mercy of God. He didn't punish me because of that. He redeemed me, saved me, transformed me, and commissioned me. And I get the incredible privilege to be a part of this mission. Yes, there's hardships. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's all kinds of things in Paul's life. But he still looks at it as an act of God's mercy. And the spirit-filled mindset kept him from being a quitter. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul had confessed uh, to the Corinthians that the trials that he experienced in Asia, he said, hey, I, I was on the verge of throwing in the towel. And if we're honest this morning, when you look at the world around us, there are times it's tempting to do that, is it not? To think, I'm just going to hunker in the Christian bunker, and I'm just going to you know, only associate with other people. The world is so evil and so dark out there, and there's a temptation uh, to do that. But what kept Paul from giving in to despair was this realization, that not only... Had God by his mercy entrusted him with this assignment that through the Spirit of God, God had actually enabled him to persevere as well. And because you and I are living in this new covenant, guess what? The same opportunity is available to us. 
The same enablement and empowerment is available to us. And we need to spend our time reminding of that, that yes, there's a dark world out there, but what an opportunity and an occasion to live the Spirit-filled life and to take the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dark, dark world. Now, if you read the news, you're going to get incredibly discouraged. But guess what? When you read the Bible, the church is triumphant. There's an old Southern gospel song. Anybody remember Southern gospel music? Anybody lift your hand there? Yes, some of you are angry about it. I don't know what that's about, right? There is an old Southern gospel song, and it says in this refrain, I've read the back of the book, and we win. And that still is true. No matter what's going on in the White House, Jesus is still coming back on a white horse, the book of Revelation says. No matter how dark the culture around us goes, we still believe that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ can penetrate and transform the darkest of hearts, praise God. That's the paradox in verses 1 through 6 that he's painting. Look at 4 through 6 again. He says, in their case, those who don't know Christ, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, which ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then he says this in verse 6, For God who said, Let the light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's using a paradox to illustrate the truth. He's saying, yes, that when I look at this assignment in front of me, this godless culture around me, same as us, it would be easy to get discouraged at all of this spiritual darkness. But he says, here's the paradoxical truth, that God can still shine the light of the gospel in these dark hearts. And he uses the illustration of creation. Paul's going all the way back and quoting Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. And the Bible says there was great darkness on the face of the earth. But God spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke the world into existence out of nothing, which is also a paradox. Creation came out of nothing, which is a paradoxical truth. If you like big theological terms, that's called creation ex nihilio. And it literally means creation out of nothing. God speaks creation out of nothing. God speaks light into existence out of darkness. And so he's painting this paradoxical truth, but he's pointing it to something even bigger. He's saying in verse 6, the same God that spoke light into darkness and creation out of nothing is the same God who can use the gospel and the light of the gospel to penetrate the darkest of hearts, is what he says there in verse 4. In verse 4, the darkness reference is spiritual blindness or losses. And then he says something that for some folks is a little offensive, and for other folks, it makes you a little nervous. Uh, one of the things I've learned, I've been a pastor for 21 years. All of those 21 years have been in Baptist churches. One of the things I've learned in Baptist churches is anytime we talk about the Holy Ghost or angels and demons, sometimes we, that makes us a little nervous, right? I remember talking to a guy one time and he said, hey, I'm all down with the Holy Spirit, but when you start talking about the Holy Ghost, it makes me kind of scared, Pastor, right? That's how we feel. But look what he says. What he says here in verse 4 is this. In their case, 
The God of this world, that is a direct reference for Satan. That's one of the terms that describes Satan uh, in the Bible. Has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. So every single week, we invite you for those who know Christ to pray for those who don't yet have a relationship with Christ. And one of the things you should be praying is that the Holy Spirit uh, would reveal the spiritual blindness, that their eyes or their hearts would be opened up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because according to this, one of the things that Satan does uh, to unbelievers is he blinds their hearts or their eyes to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, one, we're thrilled you're here. You're just checking this out. You've been kind of exploring spiritual things. Maybe you came because you're scared of the person you're sitting next to. You don't have to be sad about that, right? Every year at Easter, I look out and I see all these adult kids. They're there, and I can tell they're uncomfortable. You know why they're there? Because they're 50 years old and still scared of their mom. Amen? And you may think, you know what, I hear you preaching, I've been coming, I hear people talk about spiritual things, but, but as, as hard as I try, some of this just doesn't make sense to me. You know what he's saying in verse 4? That's exactly the way it's supposed to work. He's saying in verse 4 that if a person doesn't have Christ, they don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't have the ability to see spiritual truth. You're seeing things spiritually dark. There is a Big theological word, it's called the doctrine of illumination. And the doctrine of illumination is this, it's where the Spirit of God opens up or illuminates God's truth and you cannot experience and understand all of that spiritual truth until you have the Holy Spirit and you can't possess the Holy Spirit until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you read verse four, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that should cause you to have compassion on people who don't know Christ. I'll never understand Christians getting angry at non-Christians out in the world who don't hold to Christian values because they don't belong to Jesus Christ. They can't even understand the things of God apart from the Spirit of God. Their eyes have been blinded, but the Bible says, by the God of this world. So we shouldn't be angry at them. We should have compassion on them. They literally, what he's saying here, literally do not know any better. But here's the good news. He says, God can take that dark, blinded heart and just like he spoke light to the darkness in creation. Verse 6, he can take that dark heart and shine in the light of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. And so when you look around at the world on the surface, the darkness we see can be discouraging. But the paradoxical truth is this. We believe and by faith we declare and live and share that despite all that darkness, Jesus Christ can do more in a moment than you and I can do in a lifetime. Here's the good news of the gospel. There is no one outside the grace of God. The darkest of hearts can still receive the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged. Be on mission. Don't look at the world and give up. Don't look at the world and pack it up. Don't look at the world and get angry. Look at it with compassion and believe that the gospel still is true. Jesus Christ is still changing lives today, praise God. We believe that, amen? I'm about to get fired up about it, praise God. And so be encouraged. Yes, the world around us is dark. 
Yes, their eyes are spiritually blinded, but be encouraged that God would find us faithful during this season to be light bearers to a dark world. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged that God would find you faithful. Be encouraged that the Spirit of God will enable you to do what you could not do. And you say, well, I'm not very crafty. I'm not very good with words. Listen to what Paul said in verses 2 and 3. I didn't use deceitfulness or cunning. I didn't have to be sneaky or clever. Paul said, hey, share the gospel, live the gospel, declare the gospel, and Jesus Christ does all the heavy lifting according to verses 5 and verse 6. So be encouraged. Don't lose heart that we're living for Jesus in a dark world. Be encouraged. Don't lose heart. Secondly, Because God still uses broken vessels. One of my favorite preachers over the years has been Chuck Swindoll. Several years ago, I was listening to him preach, and he told this story of a missionary who, despite seeming to be a very ordinary person, had had this incredibly impactful ministry. And it's over a decade that I heard this. I've never forgotten it. Uh, Swindoll said this. He said, one of the great privileges of my early ministry was to become acquainted with a man named Jim Peterson. He said, through his capable leadership and sterling character, the ministry of the Navigators expanded greatly in Brazil, where he and his wife Marge served for more than 20 years. He said, Cynthia and I first met Jim and Marge at Glen Irie, the Navigators' headquarters in Colorado Springs. I was new to the ministry at the time, And far too naive, and listen to what he said. He said, I was looking for some type of formula for success in God's service. So I said, how do you do it, Jim? Tell me the secret of ministering these people. And Swindoll said, I expected him to say things like, you know, always set the pace, or be strong no matter what, or model the truth and stand against the adversary no matter how much he attacks you. He says, I got none of that. Jim just smiled and answered, Chuck, let the people see the cracks in your life and you'll be able to minister to them. It's through those cracks that the light of Jesus shines through. He said, that's it. That's the distilled essence of all that he told me. And then he goes on and says, as we left their cabin that cool evening, I felt somewhat like the deflated rich young ruler who had just asked Jesus how to inherit eternal life. Like Jesus' surprising answer to the ruler, Jim's reply was not what I expected. Frankly, it convicted me. I was looking to minister from my strengths. Jim challenged me to serve in weakness. Wow. Now, can we just be honest this morning? We spend a tremendous amount of time and energy trying to conceal the cracked and broken places in our lives, don't we? But it's through those cracks in our life that the light of the gospel can shine forth clearly. It's through our weaknesses and inadequacies and insecurities that we can boast about his strength in us to where he gets all the glory. Our lives rightly viewed are simply jars of clay is what he says here, which also, by the way, was the name of a banger of a band in Christian music in the 90s. Amen? Jars of clay. Any fans? Yeah, some of us going to heaven, the rest of you have to believe it, all right? That's, what, that's the phrase he uses in verse 7. Look what he says. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's a reference to us. To show 
the, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so here's a paradox. Now, some of you may have some valuable stuff at your house. You may have some jewelry. You may have some cash. You may have some you know, certificates, some securities, whatever the case is. Maybe a gift card to Skyline. I don't know what you have. But if you've got something of value in your house, you put it in a safe, you take it and put a safety deposit. You don't put something in a cracked pot, right? That can easily be busted up and the treasure can be stolen out of that. That's the illustration he's giving. He said, here's a paradox. That our lives are cracked pots at best, and yet God has chosen to place a treasure, which is the gospel, inside of these cracked pots. He said it's a paradox. And so what on the surface could be really discouraging is my life and all the inadequacies, all the insecurities, all the brokenness. I can focus on that and get really discouraged. Or I can look at this truth and say, how great is it that despite all of my weakness and inadequacies and shortcomings, God still chose to place the treasure of the gospel in this broken pot. He says it's a paradox. On the surface, it can be discouraging, but when you see it from God's perspective, it should be a, an occasion of rejoicing. When we see all the, everything in the flesh, that's the natural way to look at our lives, isn't it? In the flesh. Here's all the things I'm bad at. Here's all the bad things I've done. Here's all the things I'm not good at. And look at all those things and say, how in the world would God ever use a broken pot like me? Paul says, listen, be encouraged. God has placed a treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's chosen to do it inside the broken pot of your life. And hear me, it was not an accident. And those broken places in your life are not things to be hidden. They're actually your best opportunity to display Jesus to other people. Your weaknesses are not things to be ashamed of. They're occasions to boast about Jesus' strength. The cracks in your life are opportunities for the treasure of the gospel to shine forth from your life. And when people look at your life and the ordinariness and the brokenness and the adequacies and insecurities, and they say there's something radiating from your life despite all this brokenness, you say, yes, there is, but it's not something. It is someone, and his name is Jesus. Listen to verses 7 and 8 in the Living Bible paraphrase. That came out back in the 70s. It was real popular. Had a green vinyl cover, praise God. Some of you remember that. You dressed horribly. Repent of that, all right? Verses 7 and 8 in the Living Bible paraphrase. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious, precious mep. Note to self. No more drinking before church, amen? <laughs> we carry this message around in unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. Now remember, he start off as a therefore in verse 1, connecting all the truths of chapter 3. 
down to chapter 4 in the beginning of chapter 5, what's he saying? That if you live in the flesh, the natural person, the natural thing you'll do with all your inadequacies and brokenness is to conceal them. But when you live in the power of the Spirit, you'll take those things, you'll see this from God's perspective, and you'll say, hey, the ordinary place of my life is an occasion to shine forth the glorious, extraordinary life of Jesus Christ in this broken pot. Is it just me or is that encouraging? Woo! Right? (laughs) I'm having a good time. I don't know about you. Listen, here's what he's, get a hold of this. This is the answer to insecurity. This is the gospel solution to your inadequacies. And mine. The Spirit-filled life empowers us to display a weakness to the world as an opportunity to boast about Jesus Christ. I don't have to live in the flesh and hide that. I can live with integrity and say, hey, I've got all these things in my life, but look how great Jesus is. And so the paradox is that within the flawed life of every Christian, the broken, cracked pot of your life is a treasure named Jesus. So here's a hard question to wrestle with. How much time and energy do you spend trying to conceal your brokenness? How transparent and vulnerable are you? And I'm not shaming people for battling insecurity, so do I. I'm simply magnifying, and I want you to see those things from God's perspective as opportunities to use those inadequacies to boast of a Savior who's adequate for every need. But that will not happen apart from the Spirit for life because it's not natural to do that. And whatever's natural is easy because it's natural. So don't lose heart that your broken life, God puts treasure inside of broken vessels, clay pots. Here's the third reason you shouldn't lose heart. Don't lose heart because your body is starting to fail. Someone much smarter than me said this, a young man will trade his health for great riches and an old man would trade his riches for great health. In an indirect way, Steve Jobs gave testimony to this fact on his deathbed when he said, at this moment, lying on this bed, sick and remembering all of my life, I realize that all my recognition and wealth that I have is meaningless in the face of imminent death. You see, no matter how much you work on it, no matter how much you dress it up, no matter how much makeup you put on it, one day, this old tent is going to be folded up and put away. And thinking of our bodies starting to fail is not an encouraging thought, is it? But Paul paints a third paradoxical truth that's something to be encouraged by as opposed to discouraged by our bodies breaking down. Look at verse 16. Uh, In chapter 4, down through the beginning of verse 5, even though there's a chapter break, those are not inspired, those were added later. I think the thought continues all the way down uh, to verse 10. So chapter 4, verse 16 says this, so we do not lose heart. There it is again. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, he's talking about suffering in the temporal, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, 
but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transit, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Paul says in verse 16, don't lose heart. If we read down to chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, he would say, we're of good courage. Over and over, he's trying to encourage these folks because listen, when you look around at the thought of your outer man wasting away and your body beginning to fail you, that is an incredibly discouraging thought. But he said, there's a paradoxical truth. He says, at the same time, while you're physical body is deteriorating, your spiritual body, the immaterial part of you, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Here's what this means. From the moment I was born, I actively started dying. Did you know that? How encouraging is that? Brad Osteen this morning, right? But yet, while I am actively dying on the outside, I'm being made more alive on the inside day by day, praise God. He says it's a paradoxical truth. Yes, your body's giving way, and that's discouraging. He said, but it's actually encouraging because you're also reminded that the inward part of you, the part that matters, the part that's going to live for eternity, the part that communes with God, it's being renewed day by day despite what's going on in your physical body. He says, don't lose heart. Believe this paradoxical truth. On the surface is discouraging. Uh, he tells us two reasons why. Verse 2 of chapter 5, he tells us this, that the physical groaning of our mortal bodies should create a longing for our heavenly dwelling. He says it should serve as a tangible reminder that that which is mortal will one day be swallowed up by that which is immortal, according to verse 4. And so the paradox is the groaning of our physical bodies serves as the tangible reminder of the fundamental truth of Christianity, which is this, life out of death. We're united to Christ when we're saved, and this union not only means that our sins are forgiven, but it also means that we'll join him in his death and in his resurrection. The heart of Christianity is the teaching that life comes from death, first for Christ and then for Christians who are united to Christ. Go back to verse 14 in chapter 4. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Here's what he's saying in plain English. Don't lose heart because the decaying of our bodies doesn't actually lead to death. Although it appears that way on the surface that for those in Jesus, it's actually leading us into new Life immortal. The second way that our body's breaking down should encourage us is it's a tangible reminder. I'm one day closer to being with Jesus for all of eternity. Look at verses six through eight. I'm gonna go over by a few minutes today. Is that okay? Totally rhetorical. I'm gonna keep on, amen? Look at verses six through eight. So we are always of good courage. Same thing as don't lose heart. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, I don't have to get discouraged by what appears on the surface to be a discouraging thing that my body's failing. We live by faith, right? Yes, we are of good courage. There it is again. 
and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I love verse 16. Don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That is a paradox. So while I'm decaying on the outside, the inward man is being renewed literally day by day. Some of you have had the difficult assignment of caring for someone whose body is giving way to Alzheimer's. And I've not experienced that. I've walked with other families through that. But one of the common refrains is that literally that person that I've known and loved is literally fading away before my eyes. They're forgetting who I am. They're forgetting everything about their life. They're forgetting this relationship. They're forgetting who they are. Do you know what this verse means? Verse 16. That no matter how much a person forgets, even if they forget God himself, God never forgets them. Even though they're slipping away externally, God is at work renewing them day by day internally. And all the affliction we suffer along the way, Paul says, even that should be encouraging. Why? Because verse 17, he says, For this light and momentary, compared to eternity, affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's he saying? That all this wasting away and struggle in this outer man, that one day you're going to get to heaven. You know what you're going to say? It was worth it. All this momentary affliction on this side of eternity is preparing me for a glory, what's he say, beyond all comparison. It was worth it. And so that means the affliction of our bodies failing is not just intended to cause us to rely on God now. It prepares us for a glory that actually increases in weight because of this affliction in the flesh. But to actually live out of these truths and not be discouraged by what you see at face value, you're going to have to live the spirit-filled life is what he says. And that's only possible through the Spirit for life. But here's the good news of grace. The Spirit-filled life is possible for anyone because Jesus is available to everyone. Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I want to ask you the question that I ask every week. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Was there a time and a place or a season in your life where you came to recognize that you were a sinner compared to Jesus and that sin separated you from God? But God loved you so much that he sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary as payment for your sins and he buried and he rose the third day. And that today, if you'll pray and receive him by faith for the forgiveness of your sins, you can be saved today from sin's power and ultimately sin's penalty. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you do that right now? You can be saved right in your seat this morning. Would you pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins? Those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? We're reminded daily that we live in a dark world. 
We're reminded often of our own inadequacies. And we're reminded that our bodies are giving way. But here's the good news. Because of God's grace, those things that seem discouraging, when I'm living by the power of the Spirit, I can actually see the goodness of God amongst all that discouraging truth. And so if you're here this morning, you would say, hey, I've been going through a discouraging season. Some of these things you've talked about today have just they've got me down, and I just want to live this Spirit-filled life. I want to live by faith and not by sight. Help me to remember these truths in the week ahead. Let me just pray for you if that's you this morning. Father, I'm so grateful that we don't have to believe everything we see. That the things that should cause us to lose heart when we're in Christ, we can actually look at them and see that even in those situations, you're still at work. You've not abandoned us. You've not forgotten us. You're still using these things for our good and your glory. And so God, help us not just to agree with that. Help us to live out of that truth this week. Help us to do what Romans 6 says, to reckon it so. And to live, not by sight, but to live by faith. In your revealed word to us today. We're grateful that the darkest places of life the light of the gospel still shines in. And so we say thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.